sun I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of his blood Amen Here. Paula is a pastor from Texas, and she used to come here for a long time when you give us a little wave. I know I'm breaking all the rules here. Anyway, she was uh, the uh, speaker at our women's retreat. And Dwight here, I know he's trying to shrink in his seat here. You, you made me do a double take because I thought Harmon was in Mexico. And look at Dwight, the same stature and everything as Harmon. I'm going, what? Oh, yeah, that's Dwight. Nonetheless, Dwight's a pastor in Winnipeg. So if there's something you don't like about Josiah, it's totally his fault. Talk to him afterwards. Yeah, so it's good to have you guys. Welcome here. Welcome, everybody. I, uh, I, I wore this shirt on purpose to distract you from your worries. Hey, is it working? No. Oh, it's not? You're still worried? Oh, man. Oh, man. There's so much to worry about this morning. There's so much that saturates our minds, and life is kind of messy right now. Uh, Richard Swenson says, according to stats, four-year-olds laugh 26.6 times more than we do. And no wonder Jesus preferred kids <laughs> to me. <laughs> to be honest, I prefer them to me too. The Spanish flu pandemic that battered America in 1918 produced similar reactions to some of the um, anxiety going on now. John M. Barry, author of The Great Influenza, reports that as conditions worsened, health workers in city after city pleaded for volunteers to care for the sick, but few stepped forward. In Philadelphia, the head of emergency aid pleaded for help in taking care of sick children, and, and nobody answered. The organization's director turned scornful. Hundreds of women had delightful dreams of themselves in the roles of angels of mercy. Nothing seems to arouse them now. There are families in which every member is ill, in which the children are actually starving because there is no one to give them food. The death rate is so high and they still hold back. This explains one of the puzzling features of the 1918 pandemic. When it was over, people didn't talk about it. There was very few books or plays written about it. Roughly 675,000 Americans lost their lives to the flu compared with 53,000 in the battle in World War I, and yet it left almost no conscious cultural mark. Perhaps, the author says, it's because people didn't like who, had they, who they had become. It was a shameful memory and therefore suppressed. In their 1976 dissertation, A Cruel Wind, Dorothy Ann Petit argues that the 1918 flu pandemic contributed to a kind of spiritual torpor Afterwards, people emerged from it physically and spiritually fatigued. The flu, Petit writes, had a sobering and disillusioning effect on the national spirit. Definition of anxiety. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. That's from Google. Thank you. 
Definition of worry, uh, give way to anxiety or unease. Allow one's mind to dwell. Allow one's mind to dwell. Allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. Medical definition of anxiety, an abnormal and overwhelming sense of apprehension and fear often marked by physical signs such as tension, sweating, and increased pulse rate by doubt concerning the reality and nature of the threat and by self-doubt about one's capacity to cope with it. Did you know that, uh, this is a, even an old stat by now, but did you know that 85% of people seeing counselors are actually there because of complaints about anxiety? When you're anxious, your brain goes into survival mode. My wife would do a better job at explaining all this right now. But you cannot sit at your desk and learn math when you're anxious. You actually cannot learn anything new when you're under stress. So perhaps that's, because, that's why we have this crisis with toilet paper. Is people, <laughs> people can't think for themselves. Everybody's toilet paper. Well, I need some too. Right? I went to uh, Costco just uh, last week. And by 9.15 in the morning, it opens at 9, 9.15 in the morning, I was looking for a parking spot. It was packed. And then I went in there. I'm going, like, what's going on? And then there was uh, this traffic jam of carts toward the toilet paper. And I was just like, maybe I should get some toilet paper too. You know? I just I feel this pressure. Everybody's doing it. I still don't get it. Our brain, our anxious brain likes to hang out in the unknown future and think about all the bad things that are going to happen. An anxious brain is very creative and can come up with the most amazing worst case scenarios. Our anxious brain also likes to obsess about the past and dwell on regrets. So I'm just bringing this out not because we should not be prepared and think about the pandemic that's going on right now, but I'm kind of seeing, and from history, we know that oftentimes when anxiousness, nervousness, worries about pandemics, about the flu, about certain things, what happens to us? And right now, we have a, um, an opportunity, and we have a responsibility as Christ ones to also be lighthouses of prayer and meditation and trust. And don't get me wrong, it's not like I'm sitting there going like, oh, my kids, they keep touching everything and then putting their finger in. In fact, are you, are you like me? I've never had an itch your nose in my life. <laughs> I'm not supposed to touch my nose, but I just want to scratch it off right now. Like, oh, somebody, you know, I don't know what it is. But I mean, I'm just saying that this day and age, I am absolutely aware of touching and what I'm touching and going about and all that stuff. So somehow there's this balance that needs to be struck. Uh, being careful, paying attention to what's going on out there, but also not dwelling on it that we're running about in anxiety and being road raging when we're in parking lots or in lineups to get more toilet paper. Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body and what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 27, let's say that again. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Let's pause there. I'm glad that some of us worry about clothes. So, I'm, yeah, we'll keep going. But see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these beautiful flowers of the field. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, and he not much, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? Uh, what are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Six times in these ten verses of Sermon on the Mount, six times in these ten verses, Jesus tells us that worry is useful or useless. If not useless, it's actually sinful. Now I'm speaking to the choir here because I, I can worry pretty good. But he nails it pretty hard here because at some point we push him off of the altar and we put our needs and our worries and our anxieties on the altar. If you don't believe me, what have you been thinking about most in the last week? Pressing into Jesus or washing your hands? It's easy to worry. The King James Version says, Therefore I say to you, in verse 25, say unto you, sorry, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not, the, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? And it's interesting here because it says, take no thought for your life. And in the Greek, what that really means literally is to be drawn in different directions or to be pulled apart, to be pulled in different ways. Isn't that an incredible word for us today? We want to press into Jesus. We want to trust, but we're yanked this way and yanked that way. Every time you turn on the TV or look at your phone, there's another portion of bad news. You've got to worry. You've got to worry. You've got to worry. You've got to store up. You've got to buy stuff. Hurry, hurry. Mount says worry is practical atheism, and it's an affront to God. Anxiety characterized pagan religions which were dominated by fears of capricious and hard deities who constantly had to be appeased. Isn't that interesting? So I'm going to have a word here too. Is, um, if somebody's here and you're, you're, you're getting older or if you uh, have a uh, uh, um, compromised immune system, I want to give you permission not to come to church if we continue meeting. Okay, this next week we're meeting uh, again as a board. 
And uh, we do have to pray and think about if we're going to actually suspend Sunday morning meetings so that we don't put a, bring a whole bunch of people together. But that doesn't mean that you should also get together in small groups with people that you know. That's some of the advice that's being given. But I felt I needed to say that because I know some of you are hardcore and you come hell or high water, you will come to church. But there's times to be wise and times to go, you know what? I should probably stay home. So right from the front, I'm telling you, if you're getting that sense, then stay home next week, even if we meet. But here's a good word for us. Do not worry and trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, leaning not on our own understandings. I love what Mount says. Worry is a practical atheism and it's an affront to God, much more characterized by religions of old that had to appease angry, capricious gods with a small g. And the dividend about worrying about tomorrow is that you sabotage today of its joy. You ever notice that? I'm so worrying about I, I might get sick tomorrow that I've sabotaged and I've short-circuited today. So today sucks too because I'm worried about tomorrow. And then tomorrow is the day that I worried about yesterday. Something like that, right? So we can totally short-circuit ourselves. We're fraying at, fraying at every end because we're scared of what is going to happen. One study found that people frayed by even slight distress, meaning they sometimes stayed awake at night worrying, 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 or trouble concentrating on tasks, for example, were about 20% more likely to die over a 10-year period compared to people who reported no symptoms. So what am I trying to nail down here? Is we got to take worry off of the altar. We have to be sharp. We have to pay attention. We have to be discerning. But we also have to trust the good Lord. Here's what one professional says about anxiety and the rut of worry. Worry alters the atmosphere of the mind. It shrinks your awareness of your present and your ability to enjoy what's around you right now. It cycles, uh, it cycles possible bad fu futures around in your head and forces you to live in dreadful future scenarios, 90% of which will never come true. Somebody else said, pretty soon you're seeing the world through a dirty windshield. Worry dims every sunrise. Worry amplifies every mistrust. A mounting tide of anxiety makes people angrier about society and more darkly pessimistic about the possibility of changing it. Spiraling worry is, perverted, is the perverted underside of rationality. In his book, Worrying, by Francis O'Gorman, I like that. Gormans are here today. O'Gorman notes how quickly the good kind of anxiety can slide into the dark kind. Worry is circular, he writes. It may start with a concrete anxiety. Ah, oh, shoot, did I lock my car door? Did I lock the back door downstairs? Is this headache a stroke? And it has a nasty habit of taking off on its own, of getting out of hand, of spawning thoughts that are related to the original worry, but make it much, 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 much more worse. Unchecked anxiety or worry can lead to depression. Leading cause of disability in the world. A child born today is 10 times more likely to, to, uh, to be uh, diagnosed with um, clinical depression than 30 years ago. Children, there's a decreased motivation, loss of energy, self-punitive actions, like smacking their head against the wall or self-harm or cutting, whatever it might be. 
The list goes on, you guys. Unchecked anxiety is so unhealthy. And we have the Lord. So not only does anxiety create unhealth or greed or depression, but anxiety also creates division. Cholera struck Naples in 1884, especially the lower city where the poor lived. Rumors swept the neighborhood that, that city officials were deliberately spreading the disease. Interesting, doesn't it? When high-handed public health workers poured into the lower city, the locals revolted, throwing furniture at them, hurling them downstairs. The city thought the disease was passed on by people eating unripe or overripe fruit. The peasants responded by bringing baskets of fruit to the city hall and gorging on it in public, a way to hold up a defiant middle finger against the elites who were so useless in the face of disease. In the Decameron, Giovanni writes about what happened during the plague that hit Florence in 1348. 1348. Tedious were it to recount how citizen avoided citizen, how among neighbors was scarce found any that shewed fellow feeling for another, how kinfolk held aloof and never met. Nay, what is more, and scarcely to be believed, fathers and mothers were found to abandon their own children, untended, unvisited to their fate. In his book on, uh, on, his book on the 1665 London epidemic, a journal of the plague year, Daniel Defoe reports, this was a time when everyone's private safety lay so near them, they had no room to pity the distresses of others. The danger of imminent death to others took away all bonds of love, all concern for one another. You guys, we got to learn from history, right? And if we end up worrying, if we end up worshiping at the altar of worry and anxiety, we will become this monster. You will be full of anxiety. You'll struggle with depression. You'll become selfish and you won't care about your neighbor. I love, I snagged this from Wearsby. I love what he says. Going back to our passage in Matthew chapter 6, uh, he points out three things that we see here is some of the things that will help us have victory over worry. The first one he says in verse 30 is we need faith. Faith that God is worthy to be trusted and he will meet, meet our needs. So faith. So by faith, when I think about faith, one of the, some of the things he's really telling us to do here is remind ourselves of presence, the incarnate Christ who came to be with us. His presence is here. If you don't believe me about presence and about paying attention and meditating on things, we meditate on things that worry us. We meditate on things that give us anxiety. And here he's saying, I want you to know my presence. I want you to have faith. I want you to know the track record I had with the Israelites and that I've had with you. Amen. Remember what I've said a long time ago, remember in the dark what God has shown you in the light. So presence, steadfast mind, and faith that he will meet your needs. Secondly, he points out another thing that we need to understand is from verse 32 of chapter 6. Not only do we have faith, 
But we also have a father. We have a healthy father. We have a dad, Abba. And he is a great dad. He's a dad that loves you no matter what. He's a dad that dreamt up this incredible redemptive plan that when you screwed things up, when I messed things up, he still sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. And he's been pursuing you ever since. If that wasn't enough, he sent his Holy Spirit to continue to hound us and to show us and drop breadcrumbs so we'll finally look up and look at the cross and come realize that he wants a relationship with us. He cares for his kids. A good dad provides obviously some protection, not protectionism, not like, no, don't touch it, touch it, but protection, not protectionism. And a good dad would also give direction. And a good dad would give the example. That's the one I was going to skip, but I thought, I guess I should throw that in because my example sometimes is struggling with trust. My example sometimes is anxiety. But here we have a father. He cares for his kiddos. He protects them. He loves them, gives them direction. And he sets an example for us. The apostle Peter said it succinctly, humble yourselves therefore under the God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him for he cares for you. He cares for you. So first of all, put your faith in God. Secondly, realize that he's our father. And thirdly is the good old F word, first. Matthew 6 verse 33. First, put him first. Put in God's will first in our lives so that he might be glorified. If we have faith in our father and put him first, he will meet our needs. And I really mean this right now. Even at our home, we're trying to implement some things like uh, even focused prayer, certain things that we can turn our mind and turn our heart and turn our direction from staring at what makes us nervous to staring at what is good and what is beautiful and what God has given us. Doesn't mean I might not get sick, but what I'm saying is uh, I'm a much more nasty, grumpy person if all I'm thinking about is worrisome and running to save on to get the last toilet paper roll and get out of my way. And like, really, people have become quite nasty in the last few weeks. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but you don't want to be, you want to wear a red jacket when you're crossing the street these days. You want to be seen. So it's very interesting that people struggle with this. So he, Wearsby's given us this by faith. Realizing we have a great father and seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Isaiah so many years ago said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. Romans 12 says something for us today. You know, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the news. Do not be conformed and addicted to Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. But be transformed by what, you guys? This is so important. By the renewing of our mind, we're actually setting it upon something else. We're stopping the thoughts and we're turning it toward God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're taking time to pause and search out God again. It's so easy to let things just fall on your altar and then start looking at them and concentrating them and worshiping them. But it's time to shove them off and put Christ here again 
realizing that he is worthy, he's our father, and he's worthy of our faith and put him first. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love this. You know what? You know, what season are we in right now, you guys? Lent. Lent. So some of you are going like, ah. No, but you know what's so cool about Lent? Lent is a time, it's an exercise where we take something out of our lives and replace it with something else. So if I love coffee, I might say, like this is an extreme example. <laughs> Nutso. But it would be like taking coffee out of my life and every time I have a, a, a pang for coffee, I don't go, I, 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 I. no, it's actually like I replace that with praise. I replace that with thoughts of what Christ has done on the cross. Really cool stuff. So this is a really neat season that we're actually going through this right now because Lent offers that replacement of stopping, pausing, and worshiping Christ instead of letting worry overwhelm us. Philippians 2, as you very well know, in chapter 4, it tells us what to think about. Let me tell you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Ah, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, can guard your hearts, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Even in this verse, he's saying, grab that peace that surpasses all understanding. Now put it into practice. Like, think about it. Don't just let it happen. You actually make it happen. Because that's what we do. We grab worries and we concentrate on it. Now it's time to set them aside and grab what is good, what is true about our Father and faith, and now actually move forward with those thoughts, filling our mind and filling our hearts with that. You guys, you know how different that would be in the day and age right now when everybody's running around for that last toilet paper roll? Is that we would bring a sense of peace. Obviously a sense of being careful, but a sense of peace, knowing that God is in control. Even in Psalm 23, we know, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't think that has to be just about death funerals. I think, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadows, through the unknowns, He is with us. His rod and His staff, they comfort us. And He brings us beside still waters. He anoints my head with oil. Oh, my cup overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that awesome? So I want to leave you with these couple words. I don't know if the worship team's coming up again or we got me. Yeah, okay, you can come on up. Um, I just want to leave you with the thought that we know out of Matthew. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Let that be your guiding light, your, your north point this next couple weeks. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And make sure to love your neighbor. 
as yourself. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning, and I pray that you would continue to be with uh, the, the folks before me, but also those that have stayed home and will come next service and all that. Jesus, we're thankful for your care for us, for your love for us that you've shown over and over in history. And Father, again, we come together as your people, and we ask that you would do something mighty, that you would bring an end to this pandemic. Lord, that you would help people also to be wise, to be careful, but also that the sons and daughters of the Most High King would also pay attention to their neighbors, that we would be generous, that we would be helpful, that we would look out for those around us. So, Father, we trust you. We trust that you've got our backs, and we trust that you'd help us to be careful and trust that you have this situation under control. And we're so thankful that you're a good Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And even one of the gifts you give us this morning is a sense of peace and your ear. You bend your ear toward us. And we're so thankful for that. Lord, we go in the name of peace. We go in the name of service to our neighbor. And we go in meditation. Cause he lives Amen